We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. And Justin, how is it going? How was your trip to Jamaica? Oh, my God. It was incredible. Uh, my sister-in-law got married. That was the, that was the reason behind the oh, trip. Wow. It was a destination wedding. It was awesome. I'm not going to lie. It was very relaxed. The wedding was beautiful. Everything went great. Smooth week. Um, it was very relaxing, very much needed. I am, I'm in this awkward loo period now, where as you may know, I'm back for three weeks and then I'm going on another vacation. (laughs) I'm going on a two week vacation to Europe. So, uh, I'm in this loo period where I'm trying to get back into the swing of things at work here. Uh, but also, you know, counting down to the next vacation. So, but I'm focused, I'm ready. This has been, this has been a really long day on Monday because you won't know I'm gone. Right. Unless I told you because there's going to be so much content coming your way while I'm gone. But you know what? It worked out so well for me in Jamaica because I found I found that because I did that, I didn't have to think about work at all while I was there because stuff was just publishing while I was there. And that was the key for me. Essentially, I drive myself into the ground preparing for these vacations, but then I get to really enjoy them while I'm there. I unplug. I don't have to think about anything. I know content is going to be coming out constantly. Um, throughout the entire time so but Jamaica was awesome my first time there the beaches are the beach was incredible the people were incredible the ocean it was just uh you know the whole all-inclusive vibe us Canadians I don't know about you Americans but us Canadians we love the all-inclusives like we love the down south Jamaica Mexico Cuba the Dominican Republic our winters are so cold here I think that that's a big reason why even (laughs) though I went in June but but that's a big reason why the Canadians that they love you know the snowbirds that's what they call them down there they love escaping the winter and heading to the warm weather so I can't recommend Jamaica enough incredible people incredible food best beaches better the water just everything was top notch nice I'm happy to hear that I too will be going on vacation next Friday and I'll be gone for like a week and a half so don't worry everyone we're gonna have episodes coming to you constantly um, in a few weeks you know there may be a Monday where the episode comes out late on Tuesday I think we're looking at July 25th for that episode but we're gonna have content covered for the next four weeks until that happens so don't even worry about it we're gonna get to take some relaxation time away and deliver excellent content to the people throughout the process. So that's what we love to do. And today we are talking about the Titans projected 53-man roster, projected depth chart. It's a little early in this process where it's kind of a training camp preview here. We're trying to cover this period up up until training camp starts where nothing is happening unless DeAndre Hopkins signs. Fingers crossed, please let that happen. But until then, we just got to keep coming at you with stuff to preview you for training camp. And if you're watching this on YouTube, we really hope you're watching this on YouTube. You know, if you're listening to this as an audio podcast, we really appreciate it. We love that we have a a listener base, but we are are trying to grow the YouTube channel. So go on over to YouTube. It's youtube.com slash at Music City Audible Podcast. Very simple. It's just the name of the podcast, Music 
City Audible podcast, search it if you can't remember the URL, find this video and drop a comment below because today we are talking Titans projected depth chart. So we're going to run through the starters and the backups that we think are going to be, you know, the day one when the season opens, who's going to be the top of the depth chart? Because right now things are kind of funny and, and rookies are at the bottom and veterans are, you know, there's guys that are free agents that are ascending and descending, whatever. The, the way the depth chart sits now is going to be different than the way it is in September when the when the season starts. That's what we're trying to project. So I want you guys out there, if you're listening or watching, if you're watching on YouTube, comment below the biggest surprise starter that you think is going to end up. Someone we're not expecting to be a starter right now. Is there anyone out there that you think could end up as a surprise starter? If so, comment below. Let's get into it, Justin, because I think the quarterback is an interesting room here. We're going to start at quarterback, obviously. Quarterback's an interesting room because Mike Vrabel said Will Levis is going to start as the number three quarterback. How quickly can he pass Malik Willis? Will he be the backup by week one? Will Malik Willis even be active on game day? How do you think this quarterback room is going to shake out? Uh, I think Ryan Tannehill is obviously your starter. And Malik Willis, by all accounts, uh, looked good in OTAs, right? Organized team activities, better, more consistent than Will Levis. So that's the million-dollar question. How quickly does Will Levis become the number two? Does it happen this year? Um, To answer your question, I think they end up keeping all three quarterbacks. By the way, I think this is the year to finally do it. I know they've been a two-quarterback team generally under Mike Vrabel, but in all honesty, I've been analyzing this roster this last couple of days. It's not very good. Um, I, I don't see why you'd force the two-quarterback thing and release someone like Malik Willis. No, I think you keep all three quarterbacks. You got that new quarterback rule we discussed a few weeks ago where as long as he's on the 53, he doesn't have to be on the game day roster to be the number three quarterback and be active in case – your first two options get injured. That's a little bonus incentive, I think, to keep three quarterbacks. Yeah. It adds to Malik Willis's chances of making this team. Um, look, I, I think I really do. I think they're going to keep all three. This is a non-conversation for me right now. I'd be pretty shocked if they were to trade or release Malik Willis unless this roster gets significantly better. Like, I'm working on a 53-man projection right now. It's going to publish on Broadway Sports later this week. And in all honesty, I'm having a hard time, like, when I was all said and done, I initially only had 49, right? And mm-hmm. I, and, and that's what I already had Malik Willis on the roster. <laughs> so I had to add four guys that I had, I had cut because I thought a, you know, maybe I already had enough players at that position or B, I didn't think they were good enough to keep. Um, yeah. It's, it's sore. This roster is sore in a lot of spots, especially when it comes to back end depth. So I, I just cannot find a logical argument. You want to talk about, look, maybe, Am I, you know, I, I think I had enough special teams aces on the roster, but that's probably where the real conversation happens, right? Can they keep three quarterbacks and have enough guys to contribute on special teams? That's probably the conversation that actually occurs between Mike Rabel and Rand Carthon. But I think ultimately, I, I, I do think I kept enough good special teams players in order to keep three quarterbacks. And at this point, I'd be stunned if they don't. Yeah, this is slightly off topic, but I feel like as we sit here today recording this episode on Monday, June 26th, the final 53-man roster is going to include two, three, four guys, maybe more, that are not even on the team right now. One of those could be DeAndre Hopkins if everything goes well in that regard, but I'm talking more about the back-end depth, the special teams guys, the safety room, 100%. The, tackle, 100%. the tackle group. I think there's going to be additions there. So trying to project the 53-man roster now, there's going to be some changes that happen throughout training camp. Rand Carthon's not done adding players to this roster, but when it comes to the quarterback room, I would go ahead and project... Ryan Tannehill is your starter. No doubt about that in my mind. I don't think the Titans are moving him. There was a lot of talk about that earlier this year. I don't think that's happening. I think they're going into this season, the final year of Tannehill and Henry together, see if they can do something one last one last dance for the for this era of the Titans. But 
At quarterback two, I do think Will Levis will open the season as your backup quarterback, active on game day, and Malik Willis will probably be that filling that emergency quarterback role that that you mentioned is a new rule. If we move on to the running back room now, this one gets a little bit trickier. Just projecting top to bottom, you know for sure, without a doubt, Derrick Henry's your starter. It's one of the most obvious things I've ever said on this podcast. And Tajay Spears, who they drafted in the third round, is going to be your RB2. There's some other names in the back here. We don't know how many running backs they're going to keep. Three, four, five. Are they going to keep a fullback? Probably not. Hassan Haskins, recently drafted. You know, he's going to be a second-year player drafted in the fourth round. And there's another guy that you like to potentially be the RB4 that we talked to uh, with Jim Wyatt last week. Who is that guy for you? Well, I'm glad you said it because, again, as as I'm going through this roster projection, again, due to the lack of talent, um, I could make an argument to keep four running backs, but I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not I'm not sold on it. But you, you, I like what you said. Of course, Henry, your number one, Spears, your number two, Haskins is definitely going to make this roster. Okay, yeah. he's a really, really good special teams player. Don't forget that. Uh, excellent gunner was among the league leaders in, in special teams tackles last year. So he's making this team, no doubt about it. Even if he's been dethroned as the number two back by Tajay Spears. When I get into the weeds of a fourth back, you got Jonathan Ward, you got uh, uh, Charles McClelland, who's a, a UDFA out of Cincinnati, uh, Julius Chestnut, a second-year uh, UDFA that made the team last year initially. Converted um, a lot Jim of us. Up, he converted a lot of us into chestnuts. I was a chestnut. I was a nut for chestnuts. <laughs> you were. <laughs> you were a big-time chestnut last year. Uh, Jim Wyatt, you said it. Talked about Jonathan Ward being one of the biggest surprise performers at OTAs. When I get into whether or not he makes this roster, I think the question for me is how good is he on special teams? And B, um, is he too similar to Tajay Spears, right? He's sort of this undersized scat back, similar to uh, who is that, that, that uh, Dontrell Hilliard, who they yeah. had a couple of years ago, right? So is there a need for both Jonathan Ward and Tajay Spears? That's a fair question. And if they do keep four backs, don't write off Chestnut, right? Like they, they loved him last year and he made the team for a reason initially. So It'll be curious to monitor those three guys, I think. Uh, Jonathan Ward, Chestnut, and, and Chuck McLennan throughout the uh, training camp in the preseason. Yeah, I agree. And and it's going to come down, like you just said a second ago, it's going to come down to special teams. Which of these guys can contribute the most on special teams, I think it's going to matter a lot for who makes the final roster, if they even keep a fourth running back, which they probably will, because the rest of the depth across this roster does not deserve to be kept by any means. So um, now we move on to a much more interesting position, in my opinion, the wide receivers. We know probably who's going to make the team. The question to me, A, is DeAndre Hopkins in the group? That's the big one. But B, how do these reps shake out? Because I think we know for sure Traylon Burks is going into the year right now without Hopkins as your number one wide receiver. But behind him, there's a lot of question marks. There's a veteran like Nick Westbrook-Akina, who you expect to get a lot of outside reps. There's a a veteran free agent addition in Chris Moore, who knows Tim Kelly, who has made some plays uh, in the OTA periods out there. And then you have Kyle Phillips, who was a uh, you know a draft pick last year, had a great week one, and then got hurt and barely played pretty much the rest of the season. I mean, he set up the what would what should have been game winning field goal in week one against <laughs> the Giants last top. year. Of course, the field goal was missed, so it wasn't a game winning field goal. It was a game losing moment for the Titans. But Kyle Phillips was huge on that final drive. 
and then gets hurt and barely plays. So, A, can Kyle Phillips stay healthy enough to be a contributor this year? You obviously have a draft pick this year in Colton Dowell. You have a draft pick from a couple years ago in Racy McMath. You have some UDFA guys that have stuck around on the roster, like Reggie Roberson, Mason Kinsey, not necessarily on the roster, but on the practice squad and, you know, back and forth a little bit. And then you have this year's guys like Jacob Copeland, Treshawn Harrison, Kiaris Jackson, Gavin Holmes. There's a lot of guys in this room I think they only keep five, probably. They might keep six just because of the conversation that we continue to have about the lack of depth elsewhere. Again, special teams will matter at the back end of the roster, but I'm more interested in getting your thoughts on who the top three or four guys are and how those reps really shake out. I think we should talk about this with DeAndre Hopkins and without DeAndre Hopkins because it makes a huge difference. With DeAndre Hopkins, you know it's Hopkins and Burks out there, but who's in the slot? Is it Nick Westbrook-Akina, a guy who knows the offense really well? Is it Chris Moore, a guy who knows Tim Kelly really well? Is it Kyle Phillips, a really shifty guy, but he's got to stay healthy? How do you think this breaks down? I think ideally it's Kyle Phillips. Yeah. Right? It's a healthy version of Kyle Phillips in the slot. And he bulked up a little this summer. He talked about trying to meet the physical demands of the NFL. Um, I think Chris Moore was added as insurance for Kyle Phillips if he's not healthy, if he's not ready to perform. And I think you'll see Chris Moore – rotate in and out of the lineup quite a bit. I think those top four as constructed without Hopkins is, is very straightforward, right? I do think it's Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, Akine, Kyle Phillips, and Chris Moore. I think Colin Dowell is probably your fifth receiver. They've, you know, they've got draft capital invested in him. It should at least give them a, a year one opportunity to prove that he belongs in the NFL. Do they just keep those five without Hopkins or do they keep a sixth? Right. And uh, you know, again, you mentioned an abundance of names yeah. right? they've got so many back-end guys as time run out for a racy mcmath and mason kinsey can reggie roberson jr stay healthy right that's been a, a problem for him dating back to the college sorting through these udfas is impossible there's so many of them right if i had to pick a standout i know that they've talked to jacob copeland about playing special teams mm-hmm. right and what he can do as, as a punt and kick returner and remember that will levis throw down the sideline that went viral during ot that was jacob copeland who came down with that catch so we know he's made a couple of plays he can play special teams he's sort of the one that sticks out to me but until these guys get the pads on, like maybe it's, you, you know, Gavin Holmes, who I know very little. Maybe it's him that comes out <laughs> and looks great. Maybe it's Kiers Jackson at OTA, right at training camp. So there are going to be opportunities for all these guys to make an impact. I'm very curious to see how the back end of this group, uh, you know, sort of works out. Because right now, it, it, it's, it feels like it's quantity over quality, doesn't it? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, a guy like Racy McMath has got to have an outstanding training camp and preseason to make this team. I don't really give a lot of chances to anyone beyond that, you know, lower than that on the depth chart to make the roster. I think they can make the practice squad and stick around and be a guy that if someone gets hurt, they have a chance to get called up and, and see if they can make any plays. And my last thought on the wide receiver room is I think Chris Moore is going to end up with If DeAndre Hopkins is a Titan, Chris Moore is going to end up with the third most wide receiver snaps of the Titans. That's my hot take. If DeAndre Hopkins is not a Titan, Chris Moore is going to end up with the second most. I I believe it's going to be Burks, Moore, and then the other guys, NWI, Kyle Phillips, and, and the rest. We'll see if I'm right about that, but that's sort of my hot take about the receiver room based on all the buzz coming out of OTAs. I think Chris Moore is going to be a bigger impact player than people seem to think right now. Um, let's talk about the tight ends. This is a quick conversation. Chica Quanco is your starter. Trayvon Wesco is also your starter. Wesco is going to be your, your run blocking guy, your two tight end sets guy, your inline guy, and Chig's going to be your move tight end, your Y, your guy that's going to go out and, and make big plays down the field at the line of scrimmage, you know, with screen type plays. 
And then you have Josh Wiley as your third tight end who's going to play a little bit. He's going to play sparingly as a rookie, I think, because, you know, tight end is one of those positions that takes a while to adjust to the big leagues. You got to learn to block like a lineman and catch like a receiver and run routes like a receiver. It's going to be a bit of a transition for him. I don't think Kevin Rader makes anything more than the practice squad at this point. Um, So I think this one's pretty straightforward. It's sort of Chig and Wesco at the top, sort of 1A, 1B, depending on what kind of set you're running and if it's a, a you know, you're down late in the game, you need passing, you know, you're out there running a lot of pa- pass plays or if it's going to be sort of like the first quarter offense where you're you're mixing it up, you're you're not revealing much with your your formations and your play action stuff. It's going to be Wesco out there a lot too with Chig at the same time and then Wiley, we'll see how he mixes in. Do you agree or disagree with that? I think you mostly hit the nail on the head, right? Those are your top three. Trayvon Wesco is the new Jeff Swain, right? He's yeah. your inline blocker. Chig appears poised for a massive sophomore season. Josh Wiley's extremely intriguing as a rookie that they drafted this past year. The question again is, do they keep a fourth tight end, right? You've got, I, I don't think you need another Trayvon Wesco, right? Is what I'm going to get at here. But you've got some options if you do decide you want another, you know, really good blocker. Kevin Raider's a really good blocker. Thomas Odukoya who's a bit of a forgotten man, was part of the International Pathway Program series uh, last year. He's now entering his second year with the Titans. He's obviously raw coming over uh, as, a, as a, a European native, but did play college football. I remember speaking to his college coach. He called him the best blocking tight end he's ever seen at the collegiate level, Thomas Odekoya. So they have high hopes for him to develop into like a Jeff Swaim, Trayvon Wesco type player eventually. But I think he's more than likely a practice squad player again this year. And there's also Justin Rigg, right? An ex-Kentucky yeah. guy who's been a really big asset to Will Levis um, throughout this offseason. We talked about Justin Rigg and Will Levis, uh, you know, w- with uh, Kentucky offensive coordinator Liam Cohen in our recent Will Levis film breakdown. But I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the tight ends is definitely those three. They probably don't keep a fourth, but if they do, it'll be another blocking type tight end. Yeah, and I think Chig has a big year. I just want to say, while we're talking about Huge. the tight ends, this, this is a guy that's going to break out this year. I think all the metrics say so. As long as he, I mean, he's going to lose some of the efficiency he had and when it comes to like yards per route run, yards per catch, and all those things that he was very high on. With more volume, you're going to lose some efficiency, but I think he's going to be a playmaker for this offense that is in desperate need of playmakers right now. Okay, let's talk about the offensive line here. I think we should do this as one group. We're not going to run through the tackles, the guards, the center. The starting offensive line from left to right. Now, this has been sort of projected since, I guess, the draft, but even before that, before we knew who the left guard was going to be, since free agency really opened. It's going to be Andre Dillard at left tackle, Peter Skaronsky at left guard, Aaron Brewer at center, Daniel Brunskill at right guard, and Nicholas Petit-Frere at right tackle. Is there going to be competition for some of these spots? Sure. In theory, they're all going to be competing, and Skaronsky's going to have to earn his starting job, and blah, 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 blah. Could Corey Levin challenge Aaron Brewer at center? Sure. Could one of these other guards, Jamarco Jones, Jordan Roos, somebody like that, challenge uh, Brunskill or Skaronsky? Sure. Could Jalen Duncan or, again, Jamarco Jones, Andrew Rupschitz challenge Nicholas Petit-Friere at right tackle? Sure. I don't think really. I think that competition stuff is going to be more about the, in theory, you're all competing. And in reality, we kind of know the starting five. The big question to me is, do they keep eight, nine, ten offensive linemen? And who are they keeping beyond those five? Because I think those five are, it's not set in stone, but it's not like written in pencil either. It's like erasable pen. You know, you you wrote it in pen, (laughs) but it's erasable pen. If you had to make a change, you could. But for the most part, barring injury, this is going to be your offensive line. Yeah, that's your starting five, in my opinion. I I have no reservations about that, so I'm not going to spend any time with it. Uh, I think they keep nine 
probably is usually the sweet spot. Yeah. Eight, you know, maybe you make an argument for because they have a lot of versatility. But ultimately, I think you got to keep nine. Corey Levin is your best reserve lineman. I think without a shadow of a doubt, he's number six. Jalen Duncan, for me, definitely makes the team as, as your number seven. Jamarco Jones is an interesting one, but I, I do think he makes the team, especially because he could play both tackle and guard. Right. That should help his chances. Dylan Raiden starts the year on, on, on the PUP, right? Physically unable to perform list. So he won't count, I think, towards the initial 53. And then if you, once you get to that ninth spot, you've got, a, a, again, a ton of competition, a lot of names. Jordan Roos is a guy that's been around for a couple of years, again, on and off the roster, long time on the practice squad. They obviously like him. John Ajoku, uh, I hope I'm not butchering that, is a UDFA O-tackle out of Boise State. That really, really intrigues me. Andrew Rupsich is a second-year O-tackle UDFA out of Culver Stockton. <laughs> I remember him getting a lot of small school buzz when he was coming out, ultimately didn't get drafted, landed with the Titans. They've got a couple other guys, right? Xavier Newman-Johnson was a UDFA out of Baylor last year. Uh, Zach Johnson, I think, was active in week 17 for them. He's still on the team. Hmm. James Empey is an interior guy. Uh, there's a tackle out of Tulane. I, I can't recall. John Lejoux or, or something along those lines Le Le is on Le the 90-man yeah. roster right now as well. So, again, there's a lot of, again, almost more quantity than quality when it comes to the back end here. And that's typically the case with O-linemen on a 90-man roster. But uh, a lot of competition here. Curious to see if they keep 9 or 10. I ultimately think it's 9. Again, Corey Levin's your best reserve lineman. If there's an injury here at tackle, I, I've been factoring in that Peter Skaronsky moves to tackle and Corey Levin is the guy that enters the lineup. And if there's an injury to one of your three interior starters, then it's even easier because Corey Levin can play center or guard. Whichever happens there, I think Corey Levin gets into the lineup uh, one way or another. You know, what wouldn't shock me is you mentioned Dylan Raiden starting the year on PUP. If he never comes off PUP, if he goes straight from PUP to IR at some point midway through the season, you know, within the first six weeks, obviously that would not really surprise me. I think if they wanted to just give him like an extra year to A, get healthy and then B, come back and try to compete for, you know, what would be his last chance to earn a roster spot in the NFL. That wouldn't shock me. It might open the door for one of these other UDFA type guys, some all those guys you mentioned to make the roster. A Jordan Roos or somebody like that who who's a, like a big locker room. Everyone in the locker room is friends with Jordan Roos, even if he's not like a great player on the field. So somebody like that, I could see. He's got a great beard, majestic does, beard, and a head of, head of hair. Did he cut his hair recently or something? Like I, I hope I don't. I hope not. Don't scare me. I mean, that would be terrible. Why would he do that? <laughs> he's like and the oh, outfits. He's always got like the cowboy hat on. Like, yeah. He's just a majestic human being. He really is. So anyway, I think we, we, that covers the offense. Let's run through the starters again really quick because this is projected depth chart. That's the name of this episode. Episode. So quarterback running back is not even a question. It's Tannehill. It's Henry wide receiver. It's Burks at number one. You hope it's Hopkins up there as well. But but right now projecting things, I think it's uh, I think it's Nick Westbrook and Chris Moore right out the gate. I think Kyle Phillips can challenge a little bit. And in an ideal world, Westbrook Akina becomes your number four guy because that's sort of what his, you know, the mold of receiver he's in with the athleticism that he possesses or, or doesn't possess. Tight end, it's sort of Chig and Trayvon Wesco at the top. 1A, 1B, both on the field at the same time. Chig in passing situations. Wesco more on the field in running situations. And then your offensive line from left to right. Dillard, Skaronsky, Brewer, Brunskill, Petit Friere. That's your offensive starters, I think, going into the season. The only the only real question mark is is if DeAndre Hopkins is one of them or not, and we will just have to wait to find out what decision he makes. Let's go to the defense, where things are pretty clear at the top of the depth chart and pretty murky past 
basically the first starter. So looking at the defensive line, if you're assuming it's like a 3-4 defense the Titans are running, that would give you essentially five defensive linemen with two of them being the outside linebackers. Harold Landry's coming back from a torn ACL, but expectations is he'll be ready for training camp. So you got Harold Landry on one side and newly drafted line or sorry, newly signed free agent lineman Arden Key probably on the other side. In the middle, it's most likely Jeffrey Simmons, Tier Tart, Danico Autry. I think those five guys are pretty set. Any changes you would make to that starting five and and what about the depth behind them? No, that's my starting five. It's a clear starting five and I'll say this as, as I continue going through this roster, it, it's so interesting. I like the defensive starters way better than I like the offensive starters, but I think depth is a bigger issue on defense than it is on offense. It's a pretty big issue sense. on both sides of the ball, but I see what you <laughs> it, mean. It is a big issue <laughs> on both sides, but when I look at the depth of this defense, like when I get past those five, okay, Rashad Weaver is going to back up Arden Key and Harold Landry, right? Yeah. Well, who's your fourth edge rusher? I've got no idea. We know Dina Kowatri is versatile enough to play out there, but if we're not including him, you're looking at, a, again, a bunch of UDFAs essentially, right? Thomas Rush, which mm-hmm. is a great name, by the way, out of Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Murphy out of Ferris State, who we've covered on this podcast, uh, set the NCAA record for sacks last year, but he played D2, didn't get drafted. Uh, Sam Okainanu, second-year UDFA. Okwanu, sorry, I always. <laughs> second-year UDFA out of Maryland, I believe it was. Um, actually got into the active roster at some point last year and had, yeah. had, had his first career sack in the NFL last year. So yeah. is he the favorite? Cause he's got NFL experience. He's in his second year with the program. Maybe they gave Thomas rush, uh, the biggest signing bonus out of any UDFA they signed. That's intriguing. Caleb Murphy got a pretty decent sized deal as well, but those are question marks there. Right? I, don't, I don't even know if there's anyone else worth mentioning. I think there's like a, a Zach McLeod, I think is on there as well, but probably going to be one of those three guys, right? If there's a fourth edge rusher that makes it, um, I have the same issue with the interior. Yeah. Who backs up those those obvious three? You know, Simmons, Autry, Tier Tart, right? They signed Jaleel Johnson recently. He's been in the league for a while. Not, you know, up and down performances, but he probably gives you more than what some of the other options do. Curtis Brooks has hung around a little bit. Naquan Jones, third-year UDFA, probably put up or shut up time for him, right? Yeah. Like, if he doesn't show that he's grown... It's going to be tough to make the 53-man roster. you got a couple others. Jaden Peavy, who I liked last year as a UDFA, but didn't make it, but hung around the practice squad all year long. They signed Tyler Shelvin, former LSU alum, earlier this offseason. TK McClendon Jr. is a UDFA, a tight end convert to the defensive side of the ball. Shackle Brown out of Troy is one that really, really intrigues me. I think uh, I'm giving him a shout probably to make this roster if I'm picking any of these UDFA linemen. But I think you can see what I mean by the depth issue here. Oh, yeah. No question about it. I I agree with you. Basically, everything you said there. I mean, who knows who's going to pop? It's going to be about who can really stand out in training camp and in the preseason to to be the backups on the interior of the line and on, you know, at the edge positions, because it's just not that everyone is bad. They're just all very unproven. And maybe one or two of them could be guys that, that rise to the occasion. And, you know, you like Rashad Weaver and what he's been able to do so far in his short career, but he's got to stay healthy and he's got to be a little bit more impactful. And he's got to clear this court case thing that he's got coming up in a few weeks. (laughs) That's neither here nor there, but um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of question marks behind the starters. And while the starters are, are, you know, I said, 
erasable pen earlier for the offensive line for the defense it is set in stone who is starting basically i think top to bottom at every position but especially on the defensive line including the edge rushers so we'll see who can pop off on the back end let's move on to the inside linebacker position where you're projecting that monty rice steps into a starting role full-time now with the departures of uh, Zach Cunningham, David Long Jr., and Dylan Cole, and, and some of these other, you know, that, that's Joe who... Joe Sobert, I guess you could yeah. include in there, maybe. Um, but for the most part, you're projecting that Monty Rice takes one of those starting jobs and that the other one will be newly signed uh, free agent Aziz Alshire, who has been, by all accounts, extremely, you know, impressive in the OTA periods, both as a leader on and off the field, as a player on the field, picking up the defense... Those are your starters. And then it's pretty much the same conversation we just had Well, when it comes to the backups. So you got a, a, just a collection of names that haven't really done or proven anything. Luke Gifford, who is going to be one of your special teams aces, I think. But can he play defense? We'll see. Ben Neiman, Chance Campbell was a draft pick last year. Jack Gibbons, a.k.a. Dr. Gibby, is a guy that, you know, Mike Vrabel likes because he's got the mental side down, but he's got some physical limitations as a football player. Otis Reese is another guy in the room. How this all shakes out is going to be quite a mystery. I mean, to me, it's a mystery right now. We'll see how it unfolds. But again, the two starters pretty much cemented in stone. The backups, who knows who's going to pop. And again, we've mentioned it so many times on this episode. The guys that can contribute on special teams are going to give themselves the best chance to make the roster. So that's why you look at a guy like Luke Gifford as pretty much a lock for the 53. And Chance Campbell, who knows? He's got to impress on special teams to make this team. I do think Monty Rice probably starts, but I'm going to push. Like I don't think it's quite as obvious as everything else that we've talked about, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Because part of me wonders if Jack Gibbons pushes him at all throughout training camp in the preseason. Like, I wouldn't totally rule it out. If I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Monty Rice. But I don't think it's impossible that Gibbons pushes him. I agree. Right? Or Gifford, there, for that matter. Gifford's a veteran guy who's been around the league a bit. Like, yeah. He could do that, And too. I was going to say, the Dallas Cowboys, throughout Gifford's tenure there, and I talked to Gifford about this, they had pretty good depth at linebacker the whole time he was there. And I got the impression that the coaching staff always felt he was capable of doing more. Hmm. I always fe- They always felt that he could play linebacker if they really needed him to. They just never really needed him to. He's a really good special teams player, right? So he's going to make this team. Neiman's another good special teams guy. Chance Campbell's an intriguing one to me because if you remember when they drafted him, he had this big-time athletic profile, right? Right, And, and, and he's, he's sort of projected to play in coverage, or that's what, that was the hope. And you look at the makeup of this team, you know, Monty Rice needs to get better in coverage. Uh, Jack Gibbons, you've mentioned physical limitations, doesn't give you a lot in coverage. Gifford, you know, who knows? So Chance Campbell maybe has an opportunity to play his way onto the roster, maybe play his way into a, a role, right, as a coverage backer. But right. he's going to have to prove it. 9.7 RAS score uh, when he in his draft class, this right. doesn't include the 2023 yep. guys. At the time, he was the 73rd, ranked 73 out of 2,419 linebackers yep. since 1987. So extremely athletic and at that position. I could be misremembering, but I want to say he looked half decent in coverage too when he was healthy. But then he got hurt, like, I think it was the last preseason game, right? And they ended up having to stash him and it essentially derailed his entire rookie year. So I'm curious to monitor the progress of Chance Campbell throughout training camp. Yeah, me too. And, and all the linebackers in general, again, because who knows how it's going to shake out. I do like what you said there. I should probably shouldn't have said Monty Rice was cemented as a starter. I do think there could be some competition there. But Al Shire, you brought him in for a reason. It's to be a yeah. starting inside linebacker. He's so that's your number what, one. He's Yeah, he is. He's probably going to wear the green dot. We'll have to see if it's him or, or someone else. You know, if Jack Gibbons does challenge for the roster spot or for the starting spot, I mean... 
he could be the green dot guy just because you know that, I mean, his nickname is Dr. Gibby for goodness sake, like because he was able to absorb and learn the defense so quickly as a UDFA last year. I could see a scenario where he wears the green dot if he earns his way into the starting lineup. Let's talk about the secondary because again, I mean, we know what safety looks like. The cornerback room is going to be kind of interesting to see how it shakes out because there's a lot of unproven guys that had a ton of potential coming into the league that haven't really done anything with it. Of course, I'm mostly talking about Caleb Farley there, but Top of the depth chart cornerbacks. Christian Fulton is probably your number one guy, assuming health, which is not an assumption anyone should be making lightly. And I think Sean Murphy bunting in two cornerback sets in your base defense, which they're not going to play a ton of base defense, but when they do, I think this is going to be similar to when Logan Ryan was in Tennessee. Logan Ryan played outside in two cornerback sets and bumped inside to play nickel when it was a nickel set. I could see Sean Murphy Bunting doing that. I could also see him just staying outside and Roger McCreary comes onto the field for your for your uh, your nickel dime formations as a slot cornerback. Roger McCreary, fun fact, played basically, I think he played more snaps than any defensive back in the NFL last season. More than I think any defensive player, I think, potentially. Wow. Potentially. He played 1,165 snaps last year, which accounted for 99.74 of Tennessee's defensive snaps. That's crazy. So will Roger McCurry, like I just, my projection here just now bumps Roger McCurry off the field in base defense. I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. Of course, if Christian Fulton gets hurt, then McCurry's back on the field as your, you know, number one, number two cornerback outside across from Murphy Bunting. But I, I think McCreary can... Proved he can play inside or outside last year. I think he kind of proved that he was better suited inside. But if you think Murphy Bunting is like a true nickel eraser from the inside, then you put uh, McCreary outside and let Murphy Bunting handle the slot, guys. Or it could be matchup based. It could be, you know, when you have a bigger, stronger, big slot type of guy, one person defends him. And when it's a small, quick, shiftier guy, the other guy defends him. And who knows how that'll shake out too. But I think your top three cornerbacks... It's not even a question. It's those three guys. It's just a, it's more wondering like who's going to be on the field in two cornerback sets versus coming in to play the nickel. And again, it could be matchup based. Behind them gets really questionable. Caleb Farley hasn't been able to stay healthy. Hasn't really made an impact when he was healthy. And then you have all kinds of other guys. He Trey Avery impact. was a UDFA was, last was, year. Sorry, he did make an impact. He was giving up a bunch of long touchdowns behind him. Right? <laughs> okay, he, he made a hugely field. negative impact. Impact's the wrong word. He made an impact. He impacted the other team for sure. Yeah, he he had a hugely negative impact. I mean, the, the Bills game will never not be funny to me. And then Trey Avery comes in. The Commanders in. game? Remember the Commanders one <laughs> oh, last yeah. year? Yeah, just giving up long touchdowns all over the field. Um, but yeah, you got Chris Jackson back there. You got Trey Avery back there. Stephen Jones Jr. is a, a person. I don't know who he is, but he's he's in that room. out of App State. <laughs> so um, it'll be interesting to see how many cornerbacks they keep, especially given the lack of safety depth when you have guys like Elijah Molden and Chris Jackson who can play both, you know, who you're expecting to be versatile pieces in the back end. When you have... Un- unsigned guys out there hinting, hinting at a potential, you know, reunion the Titans may have with a guy we're going to break down on a YouTube short breakdown later this week, exclusive to the YouTube crowd. So if you're listening to the podcast version of this, as I said at the top, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, like this video, comment below. Who's going to make the roster that no one expects? Anyway, what do you make of this cornerback room, though? Because I think, you know, like I said, the top three guys are set behind them. How many guys do they even keep and who are they going to be? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with the top three, and I'm not going to spend too much time worrying about it because I ultimately think Sean Murphy Bunting and Roger McCurry are both going to play a lot of football for yeah. them this year when healthy. Um, Caleb Farley makes the team. It costs them $2 million to cut him. Yeah. Against so the salary cap. He's on we'll the look team. up his contract as a first-round pick. 
I think Caleb Farley makes a team. I, I, I don't, you know, why are you going to forfeit $2 million against the cap to cut him? Unless they could Maybe trade him. Maybe ends up on the PUP, right? Maybe ends up on physically unable to perform yeah. list. We know he had back surgery again. Well, you know, we'll see where his recovery is at. But I do think he may be able to trade him for a sixth or seventh round pick, you know, save the cap space in the in a deal Maybe. like that. But uh, Maybe. That's a good point. I'm but not ruling now, it out, but you know, I'm not expecting anything like that either because who's biting exactly on that kind so. of trade? What kind of value does he really have at this point? Right, exactly. So for now, I'm going to project that he, he he probably makes the team. I think Trey Avery showed enough as a first-year UDFA that he gets on there again. Um, Elijah Molden, uh, we're already at six, are we not? Six corners right yeah. there. So well, it depends what you count uh, that Molden doesn't as. Include Chris Jackson. I mean, if you count Molden as a safety, that opens the door for Chris Jackson as a corner. Right. And, and ultimately, the, the team probably counts them as DBs, right? Yes. And if I recall correctly, I hope I'm not making this up. I think Chris Jackson was a pretty damn good special teams player when he was on the field. So they may not even see it as, oh, we kept too many defensive backs. It might just be, we need some good special teams players. And Chris Jackson's a good special teams player. So, uh, but the, the corner, if you count Molden at corner, those six are obvious and it doesn't include Chris Jackson. But again, I don't think that matters. It comes down to a numbers game at DB in general. Yeah, I think Chris Jackson is a guy that makes the roster. I mean, he's done enough good in his time on the field over the last couple seasons, three seasons really, that he he deserves a spot on this roster when you look at how weak this depth is. At safety, though, you know it's a Kevin Byard and Monty Hooker at the top of the depth chart. Behind them, you have undrafted free agents like Matthew Jackson, Tyreek Jones. You have Josh Thompson, former Hook'em boy that came in midway through the season last year. Mike Brown is in the room, too. They're the un, uh, when we talk about unproven depth, I mean, that's like the entire defense is these young guys, lots of UDFAs, lots of guys that have never really had a chance to play because either they aren't good enough to or they just haven't had the moment because they're brand new in the league. There's so few veterans that make up the depth of this roster. It's crazy. Like even the veterans that are there are UDFA guys that or Chris Jackson, six, seventh round pick type guys like. That's what you know really is really alarming when you look at this roster, but specifically at the safety position, I think this is like the epitome of this issue is you look at safety and it's like your number three and number four guys might be UDFAs or Josh Thompson who was cut midseason last year. Like who who are these guys that are backing up Byard and Hooker? It's the most grim position on the roster from a depth perspective because obviously your your starters are high-end guys really high-end guys right with Byard and Hooker and you're fortunate to be in that situation obviously but the depth is really lacking head over to the YouTube and check out the, the breakdown that I did on this position and, and I talked about a guy I think um, they should add to this roster coming later this week um, coming later this week excuse me uh, when I look at the the safety depth, you look at those UDFAs, they're intriguing, but they're UDFAs, right? Matthew Jackson was a linebacker in college, like a traditional linebacker. He's just 215 pounds, so he can't play linebacker in the NFL. So he's been working out. He worked out at safety during local day. Titans were impressed. That's why they right. added him in undrafted free agency. Tyreek Jones is the one that really intrigues me because he's a big-bodied guy that was really productive at Boise State. I like his chances uh, a lot. In all honesty, based on this current group, but you have to feel like Rand Carthon's going to add a veteran at some point. Yeah, I think that will be the case. And you could say that about a couple position groups on this team. And hopefully DeAndre Hopkins is one of them. All right, that'll do it. We projected the Titans depth chart. If you agree or disagree with anything, let us know in the comments below. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like this video. We really appreciate everyone that's helping us grow the YouTube audience. We're almost to 100 subscribers. That's our goal right now. Once we get to 100, then we're going to have a much loftier goal beyond that. But let's just get to 100 right now. So if you're listening to this audio version on the podcast, 
please head over to our YouTube channel, subscribe there. We're going to have, like Justin mentioned, exclusive YouTube video breakdowns coming out throughout the week. So be sure to tune into those. Anything else you got to add about this uh, roster, Justin, before we say goodbye on this episode? No, I think I've sort of, you know, I, I've driven my point home, right? There's a lot of spots, specifically at, at tackle, at safety, at, at, at edge, and at, on the, all across the D-line that I think could really use um, some veteran addition. So I'm sure Rand Carthon, Mike Vrabel, they're going to be uh, Chad Brinker, assistant general manager. They're going to be monitoring this pretty hard, right, over these next couple months. And you, you said it at the top of the show, and I love the way you put it, it's not going to be the final roster, right? I think they're going to add, and we saw them do this a few years ago, right? Where as soon as guys got cut on cut down day at the end of August, where they were able to claim and add a couple guys, I expect them to be perhaps more active than ever yeah. um, this year when it comes to doing that, because there are going to be some good football players cut elsewhere that are better than what the Titans currently have on this roster. And I wouldn't rule out a situation like we saw with, you know, Dennis Kelly, Dennis Daly last year, Dennis Kelly a few years ago, where they trade a conditional six, conditional seventh for some depth guy that's going to be cut anyway. And the Titans, you know, stake their claim to him before he can sign with someone else, you know, after getting cut, Titans just make it a, a late August type of trade. Something like that could easily happen as well. So still lots to be determined with this roster but thanks to everyone out there for listening thanks even more to those of you who are watching on youtube we really appreciate it like we mentioned we got some exclusive video breakdowns coming out later this week three free agent tackles the titans should pursue not all three they should pursue one of the three guys that we that we discuss and a safety a veteran safety the titans should look to add to this room a guy that would be a great fit we're going to break that down later this week so stay tuned to the youtube channel subscribe so you get a notification when the new youtube video comes up those will not be podcasts those are just going to be videos so go to youtube subscribe to our page we really appreciate it thanks to everyone for listening and watching follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl you can follow me at Titans Film Room. Again, we'll be back for the podcast next week with another episode. Video breakdowns coming this week. Stay tuned for that. And until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.